The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and as my listeners know, now I don't do politics on Lexicon Valley. We're supposed to be happy down here in the valley, but I must say that I found what happened during the Kavanaugh hearings just awful on countless levels. And I know that many listeners may feel differently, and I thoroughly respect that. But I'm still stuck here with my feelings, and I just couldn't come in today and do a show about how old cartoon characters talk. And so, because Lexicon Valley still is not under my watch a political show, I'm not going to do a linguistic analysis of the hearings, etc. But my mother once told me that The way I dissociate, as she put it, what she meant was the way that I get through something that bothers me is that I run off and I play the piano. And I guess that was true back then. And I think I also dissociate in that way by obsessing with the linguistic constructions that people use rather than the substance. I mean, in an odd way, focusing on language can bring you away from things as much as it can let you burrow into them. And on this, I must admit that what went through my mind of late was how interesting one word is that really got around amidst this controversy. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Um, what do you like to drink? Next one is... Senator, what do you like judge. to drink? And no, not the beer. Like. The word like is weird. Let's do like. Not the fun like. Not the colloquial teenage bubblegum like. We've already had a whole show about the wonders and fascinations of that. I mean, just like. As in having an affection for something. It's a much odder word than we might think. I like the likes of you. I like the things you do. I mean, I like the likes of you. I like your eyes of blue. I think they're blue, don't you? I mean, I like the likes of you. Oh dear, if I can only say what I mean I mean if I could mean what I say That is, I mean to say that I mean to say that I like the likes of you Your looks are pure deluxe Looks like I like the likes of you That was Bobby Short, the cabaret singer, and he is singing a song whose music is by Vernon Duke and whose lyrics are by Yip Harburg. That is a song from the 30s. And more to the point, listen to all of those meanings of like. Isn't that interesting? You can like something. You can be like something. It's a lot like this. It's a lot like that. The likes of you. And you know how the word like starts? It starts as meaning of all things body, as in your body. And then the meaning creeps in the way that we've often seen on the show. And so if you've got a word that means body, then imagine if it's used in a word like, for example, a busybody. And so you mean somebody who has the quality of being busy, or maybe homebody would be a similar example. It wasn't those words in particular, but imagine if there were words of that type. And so pretty soon, body starts to mean having the characteristics of something, kind of like 
the body of it ish in that way. And if it means having the characteristics of something in that way, then it can evolve into meaning the same. And then it means to be the same as. To be the same as is to suit in a way. And so pretty soon you might talk about liking, but it's that something is going to like you. Something is going to suit you. It's going to have characteristics that please you. And so like should mean to please. It should be that something likes you, not that you like it. And that's exactly the way it was. This English verb where you talk about liking something, it's kind of weird if you think about it. It's like if I tell you right now you have a tongue in your mouth, you kind of can't stop thinking about what a weird thing it is that you have this faintly unclean muscle sitting in your mouth that you can't get rid of. Like is odd as much as we use it. And so I kick a ball. Okay, there's a verb. There's a verb with red blood corpuscles. You kick the ball. Okay. Now, if you kick a ball, now think about, I like the ball. What are you doing to it? If anything, the ball is doing something to you. It's making you feel good, whatever it is that you like about the ball. The idea that I like the ball. What exactly are you doing to the ball? The ball's doing something to you. And as you might imagine, that is exactly how like used to work. Yes, Shakespeare, two gentlemen of Verona. We're talking about act four, scene two. The host says, how do you, man? The music likes you not. And then Julia, who's cross-dressing, says, ah, you mistake. The musician likes me not. Now, she's not saying that the musician isn't fond of her. She means that she doesn't like the musician. She means the musician pleases me not. When the host says the music likes you not, it's not that the music has some negative sentiment towards you. It's you don't like the music. The music doesn't please you. That's the way like is supposed to work. Like should mean, and it did mean, to please. I've even seen um, one production of Verona where they rewrite those lines because it's so confusing to hear it now. I seem to recall that everybody was on motorcycles in this production, or at least maybe one person. The way it originally worked was that like meant please. And so a typical sentence would be something like the king likes pears, but that meant that the pears are pleasing to the king. So you might say something like peran, that's pears, and then likodon, and that's liked, and then the king, which would be kuning. But if the pears liked the king, you had to say the pears liked to the king, pleased to the king. So it would be, pera. oh, I'm not doing my old English voice, because in old English, everybody was kind of tired and always near death. So, peran. So that's pears. So, peran likodon. So, likodon was the pleasing to. And then it wasn't just kuning, it was kuninge. You had to have this ending that meant two. So you would say, pears please to the king. So, peran likodon kuninge. Okay. But then Vikings came and fucked English up and knocked off so many of the endings. And one of the first things to go was that dative ending. So you don't have that anymore. And this is where things got weird. It used to be that because you had all those little endings, you could mess around with the word order more. And so as often as not, you didn't say that pears pleased the king. You could say to the king, please the pears. You'd say, and so that's to the king, please the pears. And that's what you'd say, because if you're talking about, you know, I'm saying in modern English, the king liking pears, you're thinking more of the king than the pears. But if you said, well, the eh, 
says that it's to the king. Well, suppose those endings are gone. So people are just saying, Well, it sounds like you're saying that the king is doing something. The king liked pears. And pretty soon, after a couple of generations, that's how people started hearing the sentence. And thus, we in English have the king likes pears, where originally it was that the pears are pleasing to the king. But that's why we have it that way. It's the pears that are pleasing to you. They're sitting in your mouth. Pears actually aren't that good. But if you're one of those people who likes a fresh pear, it's sitting there in your mouth, pleasing you. It's not that you're doing something to it, such as liking all up on it. But now we have... I like it, as did DeBarge back in the day. It's just time to hear that music. Here we go. You know exactly what to do. You put that fire inside of me and make it more than just a dream. And I like it. You send chills up my spine every time I take one look at you. Now, this may remind a lot of you of something that's annoying about learning Spanish. If you're one of us Anglophone people, just think about the typical sentence. For example, I like, let's make it apples because I don't think as many people like pears as like apples. And so, me, that's not a Spanish voice. Me gustan las manzanas. That's I like apples. That's sort of your first year of Spanish. One of the hardest things at first is that damned gustar verb. Because what you say is, me gustan las manzanas. And that means, to me please the apples. So the apples please to me. And as unnatural as that feels from English, really, it makes perfect sense. Because once again, it's the apples that are doing something to you. So, me gustan las manzanas. Now, we English speakers, we would like it to be. I'll openly admit that I kind of wish it wasn't this me gusta business. It should be yo gusto las manzanas. If it's I like apples, then if the verb is gustar, then it should be I like apples. Yo gusto las manzanas. You can imagine some early student in Spanish who thinks that's it. And it's like, yo gusto las manzanas. And then the teacher looks at them with a frown and they go, what? What? And you know, it's interesting, as soon as you get a Spanish where distinctions of case, such as it makes in pronouns, the difference between yo and me and, you know, tu and te and all of that, as soon as you get a kind of Spanish where that sort of thing starts being worn away, for one reason or another, that gustar verb starts behaving like our like verb. And so, for example, papiamentu is a Creole language that's spoken on the ABC islands, Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. And Papiamentu is a Creole language. We've talked about those where you start with radically simplified speech, such as a pigeon. But if social history makes it that people for some reason have to live in that language for the rest of their lives, then they make it into a real language with the complexity and nuance of any language. But as we've discussed before, all languages that are not just a few hundred years old are utterly, needlessly complicated. And Creole languages are much less needlessly complicated than languages that haven't had that break in transmission. Some of you may remember the Creole show where I said that there are certain people who study Creoles who pretend to, uh, sorry, who are under the impression, can't put it that way, who believe 
that Creole languages are just what happens when two or three languages come together and that there's no reason to talk about complexity. We must have respect for such views, but remember they're the bourbon and I'm the water and you should take the two together. But nevertheless, with Papiamentu, because all of those case distinctions with, for example, the pronouns are gone in Papiamentu, if Brett Kavanaugh had been defending himself, then he would have said that he likes beer with L. Gusta cerves. And so it would be El gusta cerves. He likes beer. There's none of this business of me gusta, etc. In Papiamento, you say it the way we in English feel like it should be said, although in a way it shouldn't. So now, in terms of our pacing and because of the way I've been feeling, it is time for a jolly musical clip. We're going back to 1941. This is Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, and they are singing How About You? The melody is Burton Lane. The lyric is Ralph Freed, whoever that was. And they are doing something. You know, talk about me dissociating by playing the piano. And this, Mickey and Judy are singing to each other and very casually trading off on the piano, accompanying themselves on this, frankly, rather complex tune. But I'm also, for those of you who know the song already, that I'm giving you one of the lesser known lyrics. And so here they are. And the song has lots of liking in it. And so that's a convenient excuse to play it here. I like Jack Benny's jokes to a degree. I love the common folks that includes me. I like to window shop on Fifth Avenue. I like banana splits, late supper at the Ritz. How about you? I love to dream of fame. Maybe I'll shine. I'd love to see your name right beside mine. I can see we're in harmony. Looks like we both agree on what to do. And I like it how about you? Then you've got Russian. Russian has a whole different thing. And so in Russian, if you like something, then you talk about how it pleases to you. And so they do it that way. And so it's ninnavitsa. And so to me pleases. And it's actually pleases to itself, which is a whole different story. That's that European tendency for things that involve your feelings to always be to yourself. Where in English, we don't think of it that way. In so many European languages, you remember to yourself, you anger to yourself, you feel to yourself. Whereas we just remember and we just get angry. And so liking is kind of to itself in Russian. But what's important with this word nravitsa is the nrav. Nrav, as it happens, means character. And character is trait. And what that means is that the word for like in Russian actually has the same kind of genesis as the word for like in English. Remember, like starts meaning body, and then it becomes having the characteristics of, in the sense that somebody can be a homebody or a busybody. Nrav is character. And so once again, you have that aspect of having the quality of. And next thing you know, nravitsa is a word meaning to like, going through the idea that it suits you. It has the character of, therefore it comes 
corresponds to you. It suits you. And next thing you know, you nravitsa. So nravitsa sweep the porch because it gives me a chance to think about how I'm going to arrange my day. And very important. I know I know I have a lot of Russian speaking listeners. Yes, nravitsa, that's one thing. But as often as not, where we would say that we like something, Russian says that it loves something. So, for example, with the beer, a sort of Bretsky Kavanovsky would have said, Ya lublu piva, not nravitsa piva. And that's because with Russian, if it's something like food, if it's on your tongue, if it's pleasing, you like pear supposedly do, then it's lubit, it's love. And actually, if you look at a whole lot of languages for this random trait, the idea that you're going to have one word that means that you don't love something, but you like it. So it's the difference between how you feel about your teddy bear and how you feel about your tax forms being pink rather than yellow. Not all languages make that particular distinction or not as firmly as English makes it. And it's interesting. Even in English, you can have some subtle distinctions between like and love depending on what you're talking about. And so like and love is just like with the song How About You to a Degree, for example. Let's listen to Manhattan Transfer, who do the very best version of Java Jive and how one might feel about coffee or tea. I love coffee, I love tea. I love the Jaffa Jive and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh. I love Java sweet and high. Whoops, Mr. Moto, I'm a coffee pie. Shoot me the pot and I'll pour me a shot. A cup, a cup, a cup. You just never know how a language is going to express that concept of liking something, not, you know, being in love with it and wanting to have sex with it, but just liking something. In German, you know, if you want to say, I like beer, one spontaneous way of saying that would be, I drink gerne beer. Ich trinke gerne beer. What's gerne? I remember about 20 years ago, maybe 15, maybe 10, there were signs in Germany where they'd have some appealing looking young woman in spaghetti strap something, and she's got a cigarette. And she's supposed to be saying, hmm, I like smoking. And that's supposed to somehow look positive and healthy and good. And I remember the sign would say, Ich rauche gern. Ich rauche gern. I smoke gern. Well, what's gern? Why, why do they talk about gern? You know, you can love something in German, you know, Liebe. But in that sense of, I like it, the way you would like something like bologna or a strawberry milkshake or, you know, maybe one episode of Mikhail's Navy. Well, that's this gern, gerne. And, you know, English has the same word, but for us, it's yearn. You never know what a root is going to do. So we talk about yearning for something and we yearn about various things. But in German, the space that that yearn root occupies is that you say, I drink yearningly beer. That's essentially what that word means. Or, you know, I smoke yearn. I, I smoke yearnly. That's what the ikrachagel meant. And so you never know how this concept of mild loving is going to be expressed. You might have a verb. You might talk about how you do something with a yearn or go into Japanese and it just gets even crazier. About 800 years ago, you know, that's about how long it was, I had a, a Japanese 
girlfriend. And I learned a lot of Japanese because I was very interested. I had never dealt with a language as different from English as Japanese back then. And I remember at one point she was sitting on my lap. Maybe that's too much information. But she said, we had a sip of wine. And she said, Jongasuki. And what that meant, you learn these things in context, that meant, oh, I like John. And she was saying, I like you. And that, that was very sweet. But Jongasuki. Okay. Well, if she's saying, I like John, and if I say Jongasuki, I'm sorry, that's my Japanese voice. The guy you can tell is some untranslatable bit of something. John, well, that's John. Suki. Well, Suki, if I'm going to get anything out of it, that must mean the like. So where was the I? And the way she said she would have said it if she put the I in is Watashi wa Jongasuki. Okay. You, you don't have to say that though. Jongasuki. But also, Suki, she's saying John like. Well, isn't it supposed to be about her liking me? And you're thinking, well, maybe she's saying John pleases me and she's leaving off the to me. Good guess. But actually, if you break Japanese down the suki, the best way to translate it, if you're going to be kind of pointy headed and silly about it, which you're not, it means like. But what it really translates as is likable. It means John is likable. The full sentence would be sort of, as far as I am concerned, John is likable. And that's how you do liking in Japanese. You just never know how a language is going to apportion meaning according to different parts of speech, different idioms. In the Creole language Saramakan that I've talked about sometimes, that's spoken in the rainforest in Suriname by descendants of slaves, and it mixes English, Portuguese, Dutch, and two African languages called Fongbei and Kikongo. The way that you say that you like something in that casual way is that you say it sweets you. It's sweets to you. And so, asutimi. And it doesn't mean suits me. It means it's sweets to me. And they don't only use that about, you know, peach jello or something like that. Just anything that you just kind of, you know, you like. You're, you're laying back and you're enjoying it. Well, it sweets you. You never know what idiom. So, it's something where you do it yearningly or it sweets you. And then you never know what to call an idiom. Really, this is just how language works. Just think about our used to from a couple of shows ago. That certainly must seem like an idiom to anybody who is unfortunate enough to come to this language from the outside. Yet to us, Eusta is just a bit of speech. And so really, if we're talking about Japanese and we're talking about liking, well, then we have to think about Miyoshi Umeki, the Japanese actress who was plunked into a movie about Chinese people called Flower Drum Song, which was based on a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. And as it happens last week, you know that every week I watch two movies lately. Last week's movies were Flower Drum Song and Rio Bravo. And goodness gracious, Rio Bravo sucked. And I know that I'm not supposed to say that. That's like saying that Hamlet is overrated. My friends all like Rio Bravo. I cannot remember a movie I have watched and been more confused as to why anybody else liked it. John Wayne stumbling around, ah, Colorado, you with us? And Angie Dickinson has about eight lines and she's the only thing in it that I enjoyed. Couldn't stand it. Whereas Flower Drum Song, I know that it's problematic in our times for various reasons, but I must say I found it with its flaws, utterly delightful, the best of the Rogers and Hammerstein transcriptions. And there's a song called I'm Gonna Like It Here, except it's actually I Am Going To Like It Here, with lots of like in it. So here is Miyoshi Umeki walking around a beautiful Technicolor set talking about how she's in love, but she uses the word like and listen to how she uses it. All the people are so sincere. There's a specially one I like. I am going to like it here. 
It's the Father's first son I like There's a specially one I like There is something about his face It's the Father's first son I like He's the reason I love the place Just sucked! All these people shooting each other, the only color in it was brown. I just don't understand it. You know, like does all sorts of things. This word has a very interesting history. And so not only does it become this word about having a certain mild affection for something, but it ends up meaning similar, you know, something being like something else. And next thing you know, it starts sticking to things. And so you have slow like And that means in a slow fashion. We can say that now, slow-like. Say slow-like enough, like say over centuries, and you've got slowly. And so little Lee comes from like originally. We can still say slow-like. We can also say slowly. Lee is a remnant of the word like. And that means that with a word like likely, what you're really saying is like-like. These things happen and the world keeps spinning. And we've already done the colloquial particle, like, wow, etc. And then remember, like starts meaning body. And that survives in German as the word Leich, which means corpse. And in the southwest of Mary, England, regionally, even today, there's a word lich. And that means body or corpse. And that's the survival of like that means body. And the sound has changed. And so originally, like would have been pronounced leak. And that means that if you liked to take a leak in a lake, Then there was a time when you leaked to take a lake in a lock. That is how things would have been pronounced. And now here we are pronouncing it the way we are now, which would sound quite wrong to somebody 600 years ago. And as far as taking the lake in a lock, Loch Lomond, is there a relationship between that old pronunciation of lake and today's Loch Lomond? Yes, it's a kind of a cousinly relationship, but... Yes, it's like carrots. What can happen to some little root as it then spreads throughout a language and all sorts of different functions? Think about the carrot. What the carrot really is, is this orange thing underground, dirty, and it's just sitting there minding its business. Think of all the things that you can do with it in food. It can be a carrot stick where you just address it as what it is. It can be julienne and put into some salad where you can barely taste it. And it's really just there for the visual effect. You can put it in a stew and it's kind of salty and sweet at the same time and lends not only a visual note, but a certain taste note that you wouldn't want the stew to be without. On Thanksgiving, some people glaze their carrots for some reason. And so they're nice and sweet and they're orange and they're practically a dessert. There's carrot cake. I'm not sure how carrots get into carrot cake, but they must be chopped very finely and they're mixed with ginger and the things that make carrot cake good. But still, that starts with some dirty orange thing poking underground that we can't even see. The carrot is all over the place. Just the other day, I was in the air and had some lamb. I won't bore you with the reasons why, but of course, to the side of the lamb were some parboiled carrot halves. And so it wasn't quite hard. It wasn't quite soft. This is how a root (laughs) spreads throughout a language. So many different forms from such humble subterranean beginnings. Like is body. And next thing you know, you like a beer or, you know, maybe you like everybody. Some of you have written me wanting more Most Happy Fellow from 1956. This is Frank Lesser. Well, this is I Like Everybody from Most Happy Fellow. And I 
as I get older, I find that more and more I like everybody. That's my kind of fun. You can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's like, you know what? You don't want to hear this. I can just smell the audience, this 1950s song. Okay, here's the final high note that the guy hits. This is Shorty Rogers. Isn't that a nice tenor? There he goes. Okay. But, you know, let's just, let's go back to DeBarge. There we go. That's that's much better. So that's lexiconvalleyatslate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. The show is edited, as always, by Mike Volo. And I'm John McWhorter. And, you know, I like a bourbon more than a beer. And I like a Chardonnay that's oaky. I mean, oaky enough that it tastes like furniture. That's what I like. Hi.